Today is Halloween. Now you probably know that, that our Halloween celebration is really old, uh, dating back to an, an ancient Celtic festival called Samhain. Uh, the Celts lived 2,000 years ago in, in what is now Ireland, the United Kingdom, and Northern France. And November 1st um, was their new year. Uh, it was the end of summer, uh, the end of harvest, and in fact, the festival's name Samhain literally means, uh, in old, the old Gaelic language, um, end of harvest. And so, uh, with, with the, the cold and dark of winter approaching, um, which was a time often associated with, with human death, um, the, the Celts believed that on the night before the new year, on October 31st, that the lines or the boundaries between the worlds of the living and the dead became blurred, uh, kind of this thin space. And they believed that uh, on October the 31st, that the ghosts of the dead would return to the earth. Now, in the eighth century, Pope Gregory III designated November the 1st uh, as All Saints Day, a day to, to recognize and to, to celebrate the saints. And as time passed, uh, this, this All Saints Day celebration took on some of uh, the traditions of, of the ancient Celtic festival. Uh, it was called All Hallows' Eve, uh, which then became, um, as we know it, Halloween. And as time passed, um, you know, some of the, the traditions that we have today uh, emerged, like um, the carving of pumpkins, the trick-or-treating, and the candy, uh, and the wearing of costumes. Now, the wearing of masks, it actually uh, dates back to um, the, the very beginning um, with the ancient Celts uh, when they believed that um, the ghosts of the dead uh, returned to earth. So the, the people, so that they wouldn't be recognized uh, by the ghosts, if they had to leave their, their home after dark, uh, they would wear these masks so that um, the ghosts would think that they were fellow spirits. Typically, the masks were animal skins and, and animal heads. Um, I saw I saw a bunch of masks like this yesterday at our trunk or treat. Um, truth be told, uh, Halloween isn't the only day that we wear masks. In fact, for some of us, we never really take them off. I think maybe the most common reason that we wear masks uh, is fear. I, I'm afraid uh, for you to know who I really am. I, I'm afraid for you to see what's under my mask. I'm afraid that you might say, oh, it's just you. Our family went to New York City on vacation and we attended our very first Broadway show. The theater was stunning. 
uh, we were up in the nosebleed seats and I just remember that the the excitement and the anticipation, I mean, they were palpable. You could just feel it. I was on the edge of my seat. Then, after the opening scene, when uh, the chandelier bursts up and the lights start coming on and the organ begins to play, like it sent chills down my spine. I can still feel it. You know, um, the musical, it, it, it's kind of a, a ghost story um, based on uh, Gaston Louve's 1910 novel. And, and the mask uh, is iconic. Um, the, the phantom who wears the mask is Eric. And when Eric hears Christine sing, he is, he is captivated. But he also knows um, that Christine she would be repulsed by him, by his deformity. And so he wears the mask. You know, I think sometimes we wear the mask because we wonder or we think no one can possibly love me, at least not the way that I am. I found this poem um, by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. It's called We Wear the Mask. Uh, Dunbar uh, was born in 1872, and he was really the first African-American um, to have national recognition for, for his poetry. And, and some say that, that Dunbar's mask, uh, that it symbolizes the the need that people feel to, to put on these false fronts, um, to put on these masks so that they can be accepted by society. And of course for Dunbar, uh, that meant being accepted by white society. We wear the mask that grins and lies. It hides our cheeks and shades our eyes. This debt we pay to human guile, with torn and bleeding hearts we smile, and mouth with myriad subtleties. Why should the world be overwise in counting all our tears and sighs? Nay, let them only see us while we wear the mask. We smile, but, O oh, great Christ, our cries to thee from tortured souls arise. We sing, but oh, the day is vile, beneath our feet and long the mile, but let the world dream otherwise. We wear the mask. We wear the mask. I've got to wonder, if Genesis chapter 2, verse 25 is not one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible, the man and his wife were naked, and they were not ashamed. Think about that for a minute. They were not ashamed. Now, you know and I know that the shame comes quickly enough in the story. Uh, 
David McCreary, who is an Old Testament scholar, he says that sometimes we can lose layers of meaning in the interpretation from the Hebrew to the English. This is an example. So in, in verse 25, where it says, the man and the woman were both naked, that word naked, the Hebrew is arumim. And in the very next verse, the serpent, who it says, is um, the most subtle and most crafty. That Hebrew word is arum. And McCreary wonders if the author is not implying that uh, this, this serpent, uh, Arum, crafty, um, the most naked or furless of all the creatures, uh, is taking advantage of the nakedness, Arumim, or the innocence, the vulnerability of the man and the woman. Now, in this theological conversation that they have, um, the, the truth is twisted just enough uh, so that reality is distorted. And so in, in verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. So they put on their fig leaf masks and they hid among the trees and they were hiding from God. And so God, who, who longs for friendship in the cool evening garden, He discovers that innocence is lost. Now, we're familiar with the blame game. The man blames the woman. I mean, he even throws a little shade at God. It's like, this woman that you gave me. The woman blames the serpent. And the ever-eloquent serpent is silent. But I got to give it to the man and the woman. At the end of the day, uh, they confessed. They owned it. It was like, yeah. Uh, each of them said, I did it. I ate. A good friend of mine was sharing with me about um, this, the steps to recovery for AA groups and NA groups. And he was talking about um, step four. Step four in the 12-step process is um, a person makes a searching and fearless moral inventory. And, and what that means is, is, is that I, I sit and I make an inventory or, or I make a list of all of the things, uh, my embarrassment, uh, my resentments, my fears, um, my, my anger, and my guilt. Um, and, and I think about... Um, my, my feelings that are associated with all of that. Uh, what are the, the faults that, that uh, I find in myself? And, and what is the, the pain uh, that that causes me now? And a, and a critical part of this step is honesty. I, I have to be completely and brutally honest uh, with myself. Uh, I have to uh, take such a, a, a close look at myself to, to see what's under the mask, the mask that I'm wearing to hide myself from the truth. Now, step five, uh, to me, is like, like a Halloween nightmare. You, you take all of the work in step four, and you confess it. You confess it to God, you confess it to yourself, 
and you confess it to another human. That's like standing in, in the garden of our shame. But when we do this, when we expose the darkness, when we reveal the truth and tell the truth, that's when our mask comes off. And that's when miracles begin to happen. In, in The Phantom of the Opera, the, the Broadway musical, the ending of it, it differs um, from the novel. Uh, in the novel, uh, at the end, uh, the phantom wearing the mask, Eric, uh, he removes his mask. When he's alone with Christine, um, wh whose suitor Raoul is, uh, is in prison because the phantom has imprisoned him, uh, he takes off his mask and he reveals his deformity and he kisses her. And this is the thing. She kisses him back. And he reveals in that moment that he's never received a kiss before, not even from his mother. And he tells her that he's never felt this close to another human being. And so he turns from his wicked ways. He, he releases Raoul from prison. Like, why? In the novel, it says that he was saved from love. Several years ago, it was Halloween. It was my first trunk or treat here at First United Methodist Church. I go out the front doors, and the first thing I see is some guy wearing this mask, and he's one of us. He's the guy pouring hot chocolate for the little kids. Can you believe that? Like, who does that? And then I noticed that the guy was with Pat Thompson. And I thought, this must be George Thompson. And it was. This is George Thompson's mask. And I thought, what a perfect illustration of the beauty that happens when we remove our masks. George is one of the sweet spirits and a great gift to this planet. <laughs> You know, the Adam and Eve story, it's kind of like a crime and punishment story. They commit the crime, and God dishes out the punishment, uh, kicks them out of Eden. But I think it's really important for us to remember that the penalty, like it was death. I mean, God said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So we can't forget that Creator, God creator and judge of galaxies is also God who strolls in the garden with God's creatures, a God of passionate love, mercy, and unending grace. You know, um, peekaboo is a, a favorite baby game. So uh, the adult will hide behind the mask. Peekaboo! Peekaboo! You know? 
And the baby's response is, it's you. It's really you. It's really you. Thanks be to God. Amen.